This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Let's turn to our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're getting there, uh, some of Pastor Matt and Ashley, they're bringing Bibles down the aisle. Because if you don't have a Bible with you or you're not going to use your phone to access the Scripture, we'd love for you to take one of these Bibles. Come on up to the front. Just work your way from the front to the back. Just slip up your hand. You can take one of these and you can take it home with you if you want. You can return it. Uh, They're at the back of the sanctuary when we're done. Uh, Today we're starting a new series called Jesus Is. And this is going to help us prepare our hearts for Good Friday, for Easter, and then we'll even extend a little bit beyond that. I I love this time of year to have a scripture that's scriptural teaching that's really focused on Jesus and his life and his work. And this is going to be a series about the Beatitudes, With just a little bit of a twist, the Beatitudes, as we'll read here momentarily, is Jesus instructing us how to live. But you know this is true also, that Jesus doesn't tell us to do something that he hasn't done himself. So we're going to look at the message Jesus gave us and then parallel it back to how he lived his life and how he really operates his kingdom even now. So Matthew chapter 5, you can go ahead and stand with me to read the scripture. And if you're using the Bible, I passed out. If you're able to stand, you don't have to. Uh, I'm on page 534, page 534. And I'm so thankful for the revelation of scripture. And if you uh, study church history at all, you'll begin to realize access to the Bible is a privilege. And let's not take that for granted. Uh, Lives have been given, blood has been shed, sacrifices have been made so we could access God's holy scripture today. So I'll read, and you don't have to read out loud, just read along with me. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. And those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's Matthew chapter 5, 1 through nine, some of the most famous words in really all of literature. Uh, but to us, the Holy Spirit, it's more than just good words, it's life. Uh, this is, these are words that are widely recognized as, as the greatest statements of Jesus for those who are not believers. But for those of us who are believers, it's the power of God to change our lives this morning. So we're, we're going to ask that the Lord would help us um, see more of Jesus through these instructions to us. It's the way he lived his life before us. Let's pray together. Lord, in these next few weeks, uh, we're going to look at the Beatitudes that clearly challenge us. But Jesus, you are a good teacher. You are the ultimate rabbi. And you don't teach with words. You teach with your very life and the actions you live. So help us to see that this morning. And we commit this sermon to you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you are here. And Holy Spirit, when you're here, things change for the better. 
And so thank you for your life-changing power that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you say amen? Amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. Now you can get comfortable. I won't make you stand up for a while. And the statement, the title of this message is Jesus is poor. And, you know, I don't know, just hearing that kind of makes us feel odd. And maybe rightfully so. As a nation, I am concerned with a social aspect in our nation, and that is this whole class warfare debate where people with money are demonized. I don't think that's good for us as a nation. I don't think that's how we've been founded. I mean, there is nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having money. The Bible warns us the love of money is very damaging. But the truth is there's nothing wrong with being rich, And there's nothing wrong with being poor. So we don't want to be insecure about the blessings of God upon us financially. Nor do we want to belittle or demean those who are challenged economically. The truth is this. If you read the Bible, it's full of rich people and it's full of poor people. And God God is with both. And If you've been on our Costa Rica mission trip, or if you went to the Appalachian mission trip, which was in one of the poorest county, I believe, in the United States of America, for those who went to that trip, who gave me the report, they said the people in Costa Rica, the people in Lynch, Kentucky, were among uh, the most beautiful people who loved the Lord in such a way. And so their love for God was not connected with their financial state of being. So we have to be real careful for that because the prosperity message is one of the worst exports America's had. It's really, it's really damaging African Christianity. The idea of you're not blessed if you're not rich. Simultaneously, here we have a problem in this country is when we're unfairly and unwisely demonizing those with affluence. And I've noticed this. Usually people who have worked hard to earn money appreciate their riches. And then it's the second generation and the third generation who always grew up in a comfortable home and always had cars that ran and never worried about food. It's that second and third generation that will be like, oh, you know, it's not really a big deal. Well, it's not that big of a deal. People shouldn't be so materialistic. And there's a lack of appreciation. So that's a little bit of social commentary. All right. You with me? I did a little bit of... uh, I don't talk radio here or something today. That's my social commentary because I am concerned about that from a social standpoint, that, that we don't need to have a wrong attitude. Now, Jesus chose poverty. And that makes us, may, may make us feel uncomfortable, but I think the scripture is really clear about it. I want to give you some scriptures that are not in your notes. Uh, they're not in your notes, so you want to write this down. First of all, he was from a place called Nazarene. Nazarene. And evidently, this was not a popular place or not a prestigious place because John chapter 1, verse 45, you'll have to write that down. Uh, we hear the story. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. This is a, this is a huge statement. We found the Messiah. We have found the one, one that Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's just giving him a description and look at Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Be like us Texans saying, can anything good come out of Oklahoma? 
Now I pick on Oklahoma, but the truth is, you know, Oklahoma City is, is actually thriving. It, Oklahoma City and Nashville are the two emerging metro areas in our nation. But here in Tennessee, we may say, can anything good come out of Kentucky? My wife's from Kentucky, so I said, yeah. Or in Kentucky, they're like, can anything good come out of West Virginia? We can, everyone, everyone picks on West Virginia, don't they? So we have regional biases, don't we? And they're usually unfounded. They come from sports rivalries or whatever the case is. Well, this, this is, Jesus went to an unpopular place. I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, this was a stumbling block to Jesus throughout his earthly ministry because everyone thought the Messiah was going to come from a royal lineage. And Jesus did come from the line of David, but there wasn't that direct understanding of that to the people who knew him. So just like us, you know, we're looking for the rock star, right? Our next president, we want he or she to be the rock star. We want our pastors to be these perfect rock star guys. They were no different back then. Y'all found a rock star in me, haven't you? I just want to say that. But, but we want that. We want that. And they're like, can anything good come from Nazareth, from Oklahoma, from West Virginia? Are you kidding me? Jesus had no home. He had no home. That's the next observation. He was homeless by choice. And I want you to understand this. This wasn't, this, this was what God chose. Luke nine fifty eight. write that down. It's not in your notes. Luke nine fifty eight. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was supported financially by a group of women. And that's odd to us today. It was certainly odd in the time of when women didn't have rights and were oppressed even worse than they are oppressed today. Luke 8, 1, 3 says, tells us this. Soon afterwards, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, and it goes on to list several of these women, and it would be great for you to kind of read and think about that later. But look at the part I underlined on the screen. And many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So Jesus was somewhat chose to be reliant on the support of people who were marginalized by society. And then Jesus was not physically attractive. I know we, we have this idea of Jesus was British with blue eyes and a really cool accent because of the movies we've seen, but he was, you know, he was a Middle Eastern man. And we know from Isaiah 53, obviously there's handsome and not so handsome Middle Eastern men. It's not, I'm not giving that comment. I'm commenting on the blue eyes deal, but Isaiah 53, two says it this way. We know this is a prophecy about Jesus, Isaiah 53, two, and they were all astonished. Um, do we have that Isaiah 53, two? Maybe I didn't put that. So write it down. Isaiah 53, two, and listen really closely. Check out later. He grew up like a young plant. Now listen to this. He did not have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. You want to look that up later. Isaiah 53, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. It said he, he didn't have this great physical appearance that would attract us to him. And the Bible talks about people being attractive and not attractive, just like uh, Joseph and um, I believe Rachel. And so there, there, there wasn't like people didn't think about that in those days. But Jesus evidently wasn't this good looking guy who 
would star in The Bachelor or anything of that nature. Uh, I went to college in Kansas City, and I guess now, gosh, it's 20 years ago almost, almost 20 years ago, and Garth Brooks was so popular at that time, and that was the era I listened to country music back then. I don't listen to it that much now. Um, but Garth Brooks is really popular. So I went to this concert in Kansas City right before I moved to Nashville. And it was awesome. I mean, it was at the height of his popularity. A group of us went from my college. And, and then like the next week I moved to Nashville. I remember the church I was working for, one of the pastors heard about that. And he was like, hey, just stay low key about that. You know, you're a pastor now. If people hear you went to a Garth Brooks concert. I was like, really? So, you know, things have changed in 20 years um, now. But anyway, uh, so a week later, I'm at the Rivergate Las Palmas. Now, it still exists today, but even 20 years ago, this wasn't like the most swanky place, right? You kind of got a, you know, it's good cheap Mexican food, but, you know, you pay the price with the way you smell afterwards. You're going to smell like Las Palmas the rest of the day. But uh, I had a coupon and... I went to Las Palmas and I'm standing there in a line and like 10 days before I had seen Garth in concert in Kansas City, even though it was my big secret at the church I worked at. And I turn around and he's standing right behind me with the ball cap on and just standing there waiting in line to pay. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's again, at the height of his personality. So it's really one of the only times in my life that I remember getting nervous because uh, I don't really get, by God's grace, I don't get nervous speaking in front of people and that kind of deal. I've always had a big mouth. Um, but I got a little nervous and I mumbled something about, I saw you last week and we shook hands. And it was kind of a cool story. How many know that uh, Garth, when he left that morning and his choice of venue, of place to be, he wasn't trying to be recognized, right? I mean, you could tell the guy had the ball cap on. He, he was low key. Uh, he did not find the most prestigious place in Nashville to be seen, to have the Nashville scene take a picture of him because he was just getting lunch. You know, there's times when uh, those who are famous will try to conceal their identity for reasons of their own. One of the interesting things about Jesus and one of the reasons I think Jesus chose to live in poverty or chose to live a humble life is a better way to put it. If that word bothers you, just insert your own word that doesn't bother you. One of the reasons Jesus chose this is for whatever reason, Jesus chose to temporarily conceal himself. You're going to see that all through the gospel. He chose poverty to temporarily conceal his divinity. Luke chapter 9. Now, we have a lot of scriptures today, and, and I'm actually kind of concerned about my time today. So this, now we're kind of just starting the sermon now. So can I just talk fast today? Can you listen fast? I'll talk fast. Luke 9, verse 43. We see that as the boy was still approaching, this is right in the middle of a story. Um, as, as the, I mean, they were all astonished at the greatness of God. And while everyone was amazed at all the things he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The son of man is about to be, be betrayed into the hands of men. This is just a reminder during this Easter season that Jesus didn't get crucified accidentally. Okay, guys, he was in control. He was in control. He knew what was going to happen, and he tried to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen. But look at verse 45. But they did not understand the statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. 
Now, I want you to understand something. We're not going to solve every theological issue and problem here this morning. But I want you to understand how God's grace is working in your life. There was a time when you did not understand the gospel. And you didn't understand what Jesus was all about. And then, by grace, God drew you to him. And then, all of a sudden, the light went off in your head. It may have been years ago at a vacation Bible school. It may have been in a church service. It may have been through listening to a song on Christian radio. But I I think that if you have not identified it yet, you will go back and you will, as you consider your life, you've had a light bulb aha moment. And the reason I believe it often happens this way, and that is a pattern scripturally and historically, is because Jesus wants you to know that you did not choose to follow Jesus, he chose you. Now we, we, we use language that helps us talk about, I have decided to follow Jesus and you know, I'm not turning back. And even there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that individual resolve and that individual decision that we make. And that language is helpful for us to understand how this thing operates. But we have to have a humility to understand that you and I would not be saved and would not know who Jesus was if his grace had not drawn us to him. Guys, this puts us at a place of humility that we need. Do you know that the very fact that you're hearing this message today is grace upon your life, not because of the speaker or the church, but because you have the opportunity to hear who Jesus is. The spirit of God is choosing to reveal his scripture to you, his message to you. That is why on a practical level, on a week to week basis, listen, I'll preach a sermon up here and some of you like get it. And you're like, wow, God's speaking to me. Some of you fall asleep because I see you out there. Um, and some of you just don't get it. And, 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 and I want to say there's all types of factors. Delivery has something to do with it. So I'm not blaming you, but I'm just recognizing this. Recognizing this is it's the spirit of God that reveals spiritual truth to you. And Jesus was very judicious about who he revealed to and who he revealed truth to. We see in Matthew chapter 13 that people were still offended by what I call poverty, what you might call humility. Matthew chapter 13, he said he went into his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, how did the wisdom and these miracles come to him? Do do you just feel the disdain in that question? Like, how in the world is Jesus this good? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. They were, listen, they were offended. The people of Nazarene were offended by the anointing on Jesus's life. Why? Because he had not revealed yet who he was. By his spirit, things, it was not revealed to them yet. Um, There's all types of reasons and we have multiple applications to the scripture. But we understand that today we have to realize that we are so blessed to know who the father is. We are so blessed to know who Jesus is. Don't take your Christianity for granted. 
Don't take the opportunity to hear the scripture for granted. Don't take your devotionals for granted. Don't take the the chance to take communion. Don't take it for granted as if you're doing God a favor by worshiping him. No, he has favored you highly and you are blessed to even receive his grace. The Holy Spirit has prepared your heart to know who Jesus is and he loves you. Do you realize how much God loves you? He's loved you so much that he's chosen to reveal himself to you. Jesus was praying in Matthew chapter 11, and he said this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to infants. Do you see You see that what God is showing us here? That there is a, there is a concealment to some and a revelation to others. And yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure and all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal himself. And I know these scriptures may provoke lots of different thoughts in you this morning, but I wanna challenge you to have a focused thought a very practical, a very relational thought. And that's this, is that God has chosen you. God chose Rachel Taylor. God chose Lee Mosley. God chose Kim Rollins. I mean, and and can we just let it rest there right now? Let it just rest on us. Okay, this may not be the time to figure out how this works for the rest of the world. Not that it's wrong to ask those questions, but I'm just saying just today, God wants you to have the humility to say, God chose Jeremy and Lindsay. He chose us. I mean, he chose us and he chose to reveal himself and he is so good. And one of the things I had to do as a youth pastor, I got a couple of youth pastor stories this morning. I was a youth pastor for 10 years and now I've been a senior pastor 10 years. So part of my job description as a youth pastor, I had to play video games at some level. Okay. I mean, just, that was just part of incarnational ministry. Yeah, I had to do that. So I became a senior pastor, and I'm really not that big of a video game guy, but there is one game that I enjoyed. I'm a big college football fan, and the NCAA football. How many know what game I'm talking about? Anyone in here going to admit it? I looked at it. Okay, it's a really fun game because you can pick any college football team and take them through a season, and it keeps statistics. I remember my kids were toddlers, but Abby was, you know, it was probably 10 years ago, nine years ago, so she was four or five years old. And she had a friend over and I'm playing a video game. And this little five-year-old, six-year-old girl said something that has made me insecure for a decade. She looked at me, I was playing the game. She went, wow, I've never seen a man play a video game. So for the last 10 years, one of my big secrets is this video game. It's the only game I play. I don't play other games. I play this one video game. And I don't want to impress you too much. And I don't want to have too much pride since I'm talking about humility. But recently, I won the national championship and the Heisman Trophy. So I called when we had a family dinner. I just made an announcement. I said, guys, I want to announce something today. I am now finally retiring from NCAA football. I'm retiring from the Xbox. So it's public now. I have retired now from the Xbox. I play it no longer. But when I did play it, like two months ago, uh, 
It would be a good diversion for me, like after I finished the paper or did something or something of that nature. And the, the guys really, my two boys now, they really love it when I play. And so I would, do, I would say something like this. The, the system is in their room and we have restrictions on when they can play and that kind of deal. But the, the, the system was in their room. And so they may say to me, dad, do you want to play a game? Or I might say, I want to play a game. And they actually went and like set it up for me. Like they signed in to my login, set up the game. And like I walked in the room like an expert, you know, and the chair was waiting for me. And we had some music on and, and I'd play my game. I'd often listen to NPR while I played just to be productive, you know. So one day, it was just really odd to me how excited they would get when I'd play this video game that I was embarrassed to tell you about. They just get all excited. So I asked Beth one day, I just said, why do you think the boys get excited when I play a video game in their room? Because they're not like playing with me. They're just watching me play this game. And she just instinctively said, because you're getting down on their level. And I thought about that. I thought, well, that is kind of true. It's kind of, that's probably why I did it as a youth pastor. Because I'm like speaking their language. I'm in their world. I'm not detached and apart from them. I'm, I'm actually in Luke and Lincoln's physical space. And something they enjoy, I'm enjoying with them. And so you see the parallels. This is one of the reasons I believe Jesus chose poverty. Is Jesus chose poverty to include all people. He chose poverty to get on our level. Because listen, you know, the story of literature is the powerful reign, the rich reign, the prestigious reign. Those who can conquer with military power, they're the ones in charge. They're our heroes. We want someone powerful. We want someone with lots of wealth. We want someone with lots of um, energy and, and who has an oppressive lineage. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to pick a really unprestigious town called Nazarene. And I'm not even going to have a home. And there's going to be a group of ladies who support me. And I'm not even physically attractive. And I'm God. Doesn't add up, does it? In our natural mind. Philippians chapter 2. I go to the scripture a lot in my sermons because it's just awesome. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Who existing in the form of God. So let's just be very clear about something. Jesus claimed to be God. This is not something man made up. It's in the gospels. It's reiterated in the scripture that we honor. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave and taking on the likeness of men and what he had come and when he had come as a man in his external form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. John chapter 1 gives us even more insight or additional insight. It's not a better scripture. It just reinforces. This is John chapter 1 verse 1, one of the most crucial scriptures about the divinity of Jesus. In the beginning was the word. This is speaking of Jesus when it says word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Like Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So that's John 1, 
verse one through three. Now go down to verse 14. The word Jesus became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became one of us. He chose earthly poverty, not because he had to, not because he was limited and restricted, not because this is a feel-good story like we have here in America about someone who's born in poverty and they pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I love that story, but this was not the story because Jesus was not someone who evolved out of a bad social situation. He chose to be a slave. He chose his humanity. His divine wisdom was in control all of the time. The, the gospel story, the story of his sinless life, his resurrection, his death, his resurrection was all by his volition, by his will. It wasn't something that just God just chose him. Well, Jesus looks like a pretty good guy. Let's make him the Messiah. Nonsense. That's why we said earlier he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, before the foundations of the world, before you were even created. Jesus has always existed. There was never a time he did not exist. And in God's infinite wisdom, Galatians 4.4 says at just the right time, Jesus was born. Jesus came into the world. And so we understand that when he says to us and blessed are the poor in spirit, he lived a life of humility. I took our youth group early on before I had kids to this water park and we were on kind of a tight budget. So we checked the kids into the water park and then one of the youth sponsors went and got picnic stuff. So we're meeting, meeting at the pavilion, having picnic, and you know that chlorine hands with white bread is just a bad combination, isn't it? You know, so there there was question on whether or not we're going to have enough food. We're kind of looking at these boys and saying, okay, everybody start off with one sandwich, and then come back and get a second sandwich. And I had not had kids yet; I was just newly married. But one of the youth sponsors there, he had a couple of children who were in our junior high group. And I looked at him and I noticed he was eating a sandwich with the ends of the loaf. I hadn't seen anybody do that in years. I mean, that's the part we throw away, the, the, the two ends. And you have to be in desperation to eat the two ends. So I asked him, I said, Dave, why are you eating the two ends of the loaf? And he looked at me and he said, because I'm a dad. He wanted to make sure all the other kids get the good bread. Here was a guy, this particular guy, because I knew about his life, was by far the wealthiest among us. He had the highest level of education, one of the highest level of educations of anyone I've known, who had all the rights to pick the sandwich he wanted. But he chose the end of the loaf to make his bread. Why? Because he wanted to make sure his kids got the best. And not just his kids, but all the kids got the best. Here's the last thing. Jesus chose poverty so we could have riches. That's what this is about. And you've already figured out, I'm not talking about earthly wealth. That's immaterial to this argument. I'm talking about what Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says. Romans eleven thirty-three. look at this. Oh, the depths of the riches 
both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. How much is the gospel worth to you? I mean, how, how much money could you put on an eternity in heaven instead of the eternity separated from God? Oh, the riches of the wisdom, the knowledge of God. The wealthiest, most powerful person who's had every financial, political, social advantage man has ever known will be nothing before the Lord if they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. So what does it profit a man or a woman to gain this whole world, but to lose their soul? Guys, I want to ask you this. Are you undervaluing the things of God? I mean, have we undervalued the things of the Lord? And everything else in our life has a value to it. But the things of the Lord is no longer valuable to us because we think it's free. Yes, it is free. Grace is free in our acceptance, but it wasn't free. It was purchased by a very costly price. That's the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ. It may be free for us, but it's not free. It's of immeasurable value. Jesus paid a price we can never even fathom. Listen, that's what's so great about walking with the Lord because you can get saved at age five and you can spend the rest of your life and you'll still be trying to grasp how great of a salvation you received because it has a depth we can't even imagine. It has a cost we can't even contain. And the enemy wants you to be dull to your faith and disregard your faith. And, and to not see your faith as something costly and valuable. Can I tell you that Jesus chose a level of poverty or humility because he knew this, that the poor in spirit, they, they will see God. Those of us, listen, when we're broken before the Lord, when we're humble before the Lord, when we're laying down pride and we're laying down arrogance and we're laying down self-sufficiency and we have this sense of wonder that I am saved. By grace, I am saved, not by works, so no man may boast. I'm not going to brag on my ability or my family connections or the fact that I'm an American or the fact that I grew up at this church or that church or that denomination. None of that means anything if it not be for the grace of God. Oh, the depths and riches of God's grace. We are blessed people. And the more broken we are, the more blessed we are. The more humble we are, the more we see God, the more we understand him. The richer our spirits are. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says it this way. We have redemption in him through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to, look at this phrase, the riches of his grace. And he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I know that Jesus he may have chose to be poor, but there's nothing poor about Jesus. And I mean, there's, we can't even fathom the riches, richness of Jesus, how rich he is. And listen, there's going to come a day where we're going to stand before God. And he is so great. 
and so holy and so powerful and so set apart and so uncomparable. I mean, human words can't even describe his attributes because they're so powerful. And when we stand before God, something amazing is going to happen. In Revelation chapter 5, it talks about what will be. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says, Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. And their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. Is that not a hopeful scripture? How many know sectarian thought wants to think just a couple get in? Listen, there's going to be thousands of us who have received God's grace. And they said... With a loud voice, here we go. The lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Can I tell you this, that laying down anything for God, whether it be our power, whether it be our glory, whether it be our blessing, whether it be our riches, when we see how great God is, none of those things will matter. And listen, it's not going to matter someday how much money we have. It doesn't matter what our position in our company is. It doesn't matter whether we got elected to a certain office or we got recognized as popular among our, our student groups. It doesn't matter what kind of acclaim, whether we're in the earthly history books, because the earthly history books are going to burn. The earthly statues will melt before the presence of God. What's going to matter when we stand before God is that all the blessing, all the honor, all the glory, all the riches, God, you deserve them because you are great and greatly to be praised. So I want to be rich in God. I want to be rich in who he is and what he's done for me. Come on, let's stand together. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen to that. Thank you, Jesus. This is what the Lord's doing right here in this service. He is, he, listen, he wants some of you to shake off your apathetic attitude towards the grace of God in your life. I want to be very clear. And I, I really have in mind some Christians right now. Some of you have been walking with the Lord. The, the word in my mind is entitlement. You feel you deserve this. You deserve, you deserve a good church and you deserve a blessing to God. and You deserve a, a perfect life and all of that. And because of that, there's been a sense of entitlement that you've lost the wonder of your salvation. How much has God given for you? And the Lord wants us to humble ourselves before him today. And we're gonna have a chance at this. So I just... I invite you to a place of humility. And I don't know what that place is for you. The table of the Lord is open, but that place of humility may be repenting to someone else. The place of humility may just be standing where you're at. It may be going to the table of the Lord. Uh, but guys, the Lord has called us to a place of humility and um, to receive the richness of who he is. Jesus chose poverty. But at the end, Jesus isn't going to be this weak, poor God that's not known. He will be known and all riches and honor and glory and power are his, are his. So as in heaven, let it be on earth. Let it be on earth. Let's respond to the Lord today. Pastor Matt's going to be in the back. Other prayer partners have been back. I'm going to be down here if you want to pray with me today. I'd love to pray with some of you. If you want to go in the back and pray with our other prayer partners, Pastor Daniel and Rachel are going to be back there. Other of our pastors will be back there. If you want to pray with them, if you want to pray with me, we can. And uh, let's just go to a position of humility with the Lord. Amen.
as Beth leads us in a song. The table of the Lord is open. I won't get further instructions on communion. If you want to take communion, you can. But let's all respond to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.